If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know what's cool? Voting. Hold on, hold on. I'm not doing some hammy thing. Just stay with me here for a minute. Think about the history of the world. I geek out on history. You probably love history too. Most people do. But when you think about the lives so many people have had in this world and how they have had no say, how many people in the history of the world have had no say whatsoever in the people who govern them? It's the majority of people have had no say. You're just stuck with whatever crappy government you have. Here in America, as bad as things are, every two years, we get a vote. I think that's awesome. And let me tell you something about this election we have coming up, why it's so crucial. A couple different things. Yes, it's the most important election ever. We say that every election cycle, right? But I say this is the most important election ever for a different reason. The great sorting. You've heard me use that term before, the great sorting, but you've heard me use it when it comes to COVID. We talked about COVID, and what I've said is that friend, family member, mother, brother, wife, sister, husband, daughter, son, the family member or friend of yours who lost their mind during COVID, you can't visit unless you bring your vaccine card. That's the person in your life who's going to turn you into the feds one day without hesitation. The great sorting. You found out who was who. This election is going to be the great sorting state version. And here's what I mean. You can't possibly be worse than Joe Biden has been. You simply can't. 
it's more it's more than just horrific failure across the board from the economy and border and all the endless trans nonsense all that stuff it's more than just that you can't be meaner more divisive more spiteful to people it's just a bad politician so because of that because of the horrific failure of joe biden it's going to be a wave like you can't even imagine a red wave we are going to have the house and i believe we're going to have 52 53 seats in the senate by the time we're done democrats in blue areas though they're gonna they're gonna get shocked but how's that the great sorting well you know i tell you all the time to move right i tell you to pack up and move from your blue area and get to a red area because i've done it and it's a better life and I get pushed back on that, and I understand it. I'm not complaining about it. I get pushed back. People say, Jesse, no, we have to stay and fight. Jesse, I need to stay. No, i got to stay and fight for my area. I get that. Nothing wrong with loyalty to your area. But if your blue area stays blue after this November, your blue area is gone forever. you got to let it go. The great sorting. And we have, I mean, look, there are two, two different parts to this midterm election I'm very, very excited about. One, I'm very excited about the new crop of GOP candidates we have running, new, much more anti-communist candidates. You see, you get frustrated with GOP leadership, and so do I, because they're a bunch of low-T weenies who always screw us over. But it's changing, slowly but surely. Slowly but surely, those old dinosaurs are retiring or getting voted out the way they should, and we're getting younger, more hardcore anti-communist candidates. We have some candidates. You know I hate politicians, right? I don't wave anybody's pom-poms. We have candidates who flat out get me fired up. We have J.D. Vance. We have Joe Kent. We have Blake Masters. We have Eli Crane. A lot of people don't know about Eli Crane running for Congress in Arizona. He's a Navy SEAL guy. These guys, man, you talk to these guys, studs. These guys are going to be the tip of the anti-communist spear. These guys are going to be around for a long time. We have exciting things. So yes, I like that part. I like that we have new hardcore anti-communists, but set that aside. I'm excited for local elections because we've always ignored them. The right has always ignored them. The communists have understood for decades and decades and decades that that was the key, right? We were always worried about the president. Who's going to run for president? Maybe you're even doing it now. Who's going to run in 2024? It's going to be Trump or Heavy D. I submit to you, who runs your school board is more important than who's the next president of the United States of America. And the communists have always gotten that. I know to this day, it may be your area too, to this day, blood red areas with school boards that are entirely blue. Because we don't care or we haven't really noticed or thought we had to care. No, no, you don't understand, Jesse. I'm in rural Oklahoma, it's very red here. Yeah, I bet your school board's not, because we never pay attention, but the communists do. They get to your town and immediately they're looking around for places where they can seize power. City councils, county board of supervisors, sheriffs, DAs. I'm excited for November, not just because of the congressional candidates and Senate candidates, and we're gonna go over all that tonight with Mike Slater, Josh Hammer, Rich Barris, we're gonna go over all that tonight. I'm excited because I believe we are getting more involved now than we ever have in local elections. Oh, there's gonna be a red wave, and of course we're gonna talk about it endlessly on this show about the new Congress and what they can do, and what's the Senate going to do, and all those things are very, very good, but the truth is, 
if you were to offer me this deal where Democrats can have every single seat in the House and every single seat in the Senate, all of them, they have universal government, and we have every single school board in the country, every single seat, I would take that deal without hesitation, and you should too. We will not save this country from Washington, D.C. So the election does matter. I'm not saying that, but we will not save it from the top down. We will save it from the bottom up, from the roots. We will save it starting local, and then we would work our way up from there. That's exactly how the communist subversives took over every institution in this country. They didn't start in D.C. They started on your local school board teaching your kids to hate you. But this November, things are going to change. I'm seeing more activism from the right now than I have seen in a very, very, very long time. And I'll be honest, it inspires me. All right. We're going to find out what inspires my boy Mike Slater next. Each morning, the President of the United States receives a highly classified briefing on the most important issues facing the country. It's called the President's Daily Brief, or PDB. It's delivered by America's spies and analysts. Well, now you can hear your very own PDB in the form of a podcast hosted by me, Brian Dean Wright, a former CIA operations officer. Each morning at 6 a.m. Eastern, I'll bring you 15 to 20 minutes of the most important issues facing the country giving you the critical intelligence and analysis you need to start your morning. Joining me now, host of the Politics by Faith podcast, my buddy, Mike Slater. All right, Mike, I'm hopeful. Not, not as much mm. for D.C. I mean, I'm happy we're going to have Congress and the Senate. That's fine. That's fine. And it's good. It's, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't be dismissive. It's good. It's a good thing that we have that some check on this insanity. I'm hopeful for the states. Mike, freaking Oregon has been led by nutballs for a long time. The Republican is up in the polls in Oregon? What? What in the world, right? So obviously you got this like left-wing threshold of, of, of craziness of, of Washington, Oregon, and California. The Oregon Senate race is up for grabs as well, which is unbelievable there. And then, as you said, in Oregon, the Republican governor may take over for the first time in who knows how long Republican running Oregon, the, the founder of Nike, just spent millions of dollars on this race to put the Republican in there. And I think the big issue for the Western states is crime, crime and homelessness, just chaos, anarchy, we finally had enough. Uh, I don't want to pivot to New York too quickly, but it's very similar over there as well, right? Like Z Lee Zeldin, the Republican, coming out of nowhere these last few weeks to take on Kathy Hochul. And if you saw the debate for that governor's race, he kept bringing it back to crime. And he has an incredible ad of just people getting pulverized in the street and in the... Uh, in the in the subway like people are getting pushed in front of subway cars and stuff it's like enough of this same thing in oregon people have had enough we were talking to the minnesota governor candidate as well that's another one where a republican may take over wisconsin or uh, minnesota is a, a wacky state politically for a lot of different reasons for a long time and he has an incredible ad where there's a girl a 20 year old girl driving down a suburban street a car cuts in front of her two guys get out to have a gun knock on her door, knock on the window, and, and then the, the ad cuts out, but it's about carjacking. 
and how carjackings are up like 400%. And it's like, what, carjacking? Carjacking isn't when you steal a car, it's when you steal a car with someone in it. This is insane stuff. And he was saying that these carjackings are happening in suburban areas, not just in inner city streets, inner city streets. So we got a lot of these blue states across the country that haven't had enough with crime and they're rightfully blaming the Democratic governor. Okay, you know what? We'll get to New York in just a moment. I want to circle back to mm -hmm. something you just said. The founder of Nike, that's Phil Knight. Nike's a famously left-wing company, and Phil Knight is not some hardcore Republican. He's backing the Republican? What? Yeah, I think he got many millions of dollars to the Republican candidate because... It's hit a threshold. Now, let me pivot in a second to California. It's hit a threshold where you cannot operate in downtowns. They just are uninhabitable, unlivable, unless you're living in a tent on the street. A normal person will not go downtown in these big cities. So the fact that it's that bad, that as you said, these progressives, you know, Black Lives Matter, all these other, all these other causes, but when the rubber hits the road and you can't get people to go to work downtown anymore, we've had enough. It was, uh, who's the guy who runs the Young Turks? A ch Cenk, Younger, whatever. These far left guys, yeah, even he, Whatever they mean. Even he's uh, uh, the mayor's race in Los Angeles. He's like, nope, I'm voting for the Republican. Republican mayor in Los Angeles race because we cannot go downtown. It's absolute chaos. So you see progressives even having enough. It's good news. Okay. Now, I do want to pivot to New York. Mike, I, mm -hmm. I, I, while I'm hopeful about the November elections, I've tried the best I can to not let any hope creep in when it comes to New York. I, I, <laughs> I love New York City. Everyone knows this. I despise what these communist pieces of trash have done to it. But I'm not, yeah. I'm, I'm not hopeful. I don't want to get my hopes up, Mike, but man, the polls look pretty good for Lee Zeld. Yeah, totally. So I grew up in Syracuse, New York. So I grew up in the middle of the state, New York. The number one radio station in Syracuse, New York, when I was growing up, I'm sure it still is now, is B104, the country station. So New York has always been a red state, just like every other state, ruined by one little blue dot that screws up it for everyone. It just, it was 2018, I think, when New York uh, finally, for the first time in the state house and state uh, Senate, became a blue state, totally all in. But New York still has, again, a lot of country and also this red streak. It wasn't too long ago, Jesse, when Rudy Giuliani was the mayor of New York City, right? He was first elected in 1994. So that was an ancient history. Uh, George Pataki was the governor when I was growing up, not that too long ago. So there's a little bit of red there. Now, I will allow you, I would suggest even, Jesse, to get a little bit of hope in New York. But what's so odd is uh, California. So the three worst states with governors when it came to COVID was New York, and Lee Zeldin may take over against Kathy Hochul. Did you see in the debate the other day, they were asked about CDC mandates vaccine for kids. And Kathy Hochul's like, well, I won't mandate that now. And Lee Zeldin looked in the camera and said, parents, I will never mandate a vaccine for your kids, okay? So finally, we're gonna have some accountability in New York perhaps. Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer was the other horrific governor during COVID, and she is gonna lose there against this no-name person, Tudor Dixon, which is fantastic news as well. So those two are gone, the worst COVID governors. But stinking California, where I live now, Gavin Newsom's gonna win by 30 points, going away, and it's like, no problem. So California is where you should have no hope. New York, Michigan, I'll allow some hope there. Okay, well, that's a bummer, Mike, because I opened up the show I opened up the show saying, hey, this is going to be the great sorting, the state edition, meaning if your state mm. 
doesn't go red this November, your state is gone and unsalvageable. You tell me California cannot be salvaged? Yes. I'm sorry, do you want a longer answer? Pause on this. Why? What happened to California? Man, that is such an unbelievable question that I don't have a good answer to. Let me, let me say one and I'll come back around to that. I was talking to Eric Erickson, who's, who knows everything about Georgia. And I said, why, why is the Republican governor gonna win there by so much over Stacey Abrams? He said, well, Stacey Abrams is terrible, but George, uh, the Kemp is the, is the other Republican, right? And he's a business guy. He's all about business. So the social issues, people in Georgia don't care about the social issues, we care about business. I said, well, how about Herschel Walker? Aren't all these abortions gonna affect him? He's like, no, no, in Georgia, we don't care about the social issues. Because back in the 60s, they, uh, Atlanta was one of the first cities to uh, desegregate. And they said, we're above this social nonsense. We're gonna focus on business, 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 business. Coca-Cola and all these other companies started moving in. They're all about business. So social issues don't matter. So that's why they're gonna go running away. And I almost feel like it's the opposite in California. We don't give a crap about business here. We don't give a crap at all. It's all about the social nonsense. It's all about this social, it's all about being uh, a sanctuary state for illegal immigrants, for abortion, for transgender surgeries. Come, if you live in Texas, you can kidnap someone, literally kidnap someone in Texas, bring them to California, and California law enforcement is not allowed to cooperate with Texas law enforcement about an actual kidnapping, if it's for the purpose of getting transgender surgery. The people of California, for whatever social reason, I don't know if it goes back to like, still the 60s hippies influence, or like we're like a beach vibe, live and let live, whatever. We've still completely lost our minds here and nothing matters except being nice and doing what's what's good and happy feeling and whatever social justice cause comes our way it is a lost cause jesse gosh that is sad all right what about wisconsin swing state wisconsin wait wait, it's always a critical state when it comes to the presidential run no one's at all paying attention to the governor's race this michaels versus evers thing but wisconsin might go red yeah, so Wisconsin, again, uh, Scott Walker was the Republican not too long ago. All these states are, these blue states, are wising up and, and turning purple, if not even red. Add Wisconsin to the list. The two that are of concern to me are uh, Massachusetts. They have a, a blue governor. Excuse me, they have a red governor, Republican. That's going to turn blue. Uh, Maryland oddly, has a Republican governor. That's definitely turning blue. So we're going to lose those two Republican seats, but gain in all the places we've been talking about, hopefully New York, uh, Michigan, Minnesota, uh, Oregon, and now even, as you said, Wisconsin as well. And I wouldn't be too surprised by that, right? Wisconsin should be a red state. Okay, uh, why are we losing Maryland? Why are we losing Maryland and Massachusetts? Now, I know those are blue places anyway, but why are we losing anything in November? What? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. There's been a streak. Like in those states, you have to be a pretty moderate Republican, right? I mean, they're just... You're just losing, like they, it's just uh, party registration. Like you're just out in Wisconsin. Uh, let's focus on Massachusetts, right? So the, the Massachusetts governor right now is a pretty modern guy, like a Mitt Romney kind of guy. That's what it takes in order to do that. And they're they're just not. They don't have that right now. And the the, the blue voters there uh, don't have the appetite to have a even a moderate Republican right now. But as you said, how could anyone possibly, with the big three issues, economy, uh, crime? 
and the border, which to me is just all chaos. That's what it is. It's just chaos, uneasiness, and, and people can't articulate it. So that's why you get questions in the polls like, uh, like, do you uh, agree with the, or do you like the direction our country is going in? You get questions like that because people can't articulate quite what's wrong, uh, but they blame the person in power as they rightfully should in this case with the Democrats. So it is quite shocking that even a state like Massachusetts uh, or Maryland would continue to go uh, blue. It makes no sense. But I go back to California. Our governor is going to win by 30 points going away, which is just bonkers. Mike yeah, Slater, Politics by Faith podcast. Thank you, my brother. You're the man, Jesse. Thanks, bro. All right. My boy Josh Hammer is coming, and we're going to talk about the Senate. I called out 52, 53 seats. We're going to ask Josh if he thinks I'm a nutball. We're going to ask him who he's excited about. Next. All right, that's the governors. What's up with the Senate? I mean, the Senate generally sucks anyway. There's like four or five decent senators in the whole lot. So let's talk to my buddy Hammer about it. Joining me now, my friend Josh Hammer of the Josh Hammer Show, and he's also opinion editor Newsweek. Josh, okay, let's, let's begin with the obvious one that made all kinds of news recently, Fetterman Oz. Now, everyone saw that Fetterman's not a fully functional adult. That's just the way it goes. But they've been voting for four weeks, and I don't trust Pennsylvania voting at all. What say you? Well, you should not trust Pennsylvania voting at all. I mean, what the Pennsylvania Supreme Court did in the 2020 election cycle, in the 2020 election cycle was flagrantly unconstitutional. It was egregious to my mind that the U.S. Supreme Court did not grant certain actually hear that case with those shenanigans out of Pennsylvania in 2020. Look, early voting in general, I'm actually a longtime foe of early voting. I mean, voting is supposed to be a snapshot in time. It's not supposed to be a moving target. I mean, once you start extending early voting for a week's on end, it becomes a month, two months. I mean, we all saw what happened in 2020 with Hunter Biden and the New York Post story. That story broke roughly mid-October. And, you know, I, I think it was roughly one in six Americans who voted for Biden said they would have actually changed their vote if they had known that story in time to cast their ballot. So big tech literally due to early voting, making it uh, literally letting big tech throw the election. That happened due to early voting in 2020. So I'm a longtime foe of early voting. As, as the case may be here in Pennsylvania, Jesse, I've cranked the numbers a little bit. I think we're probably still enough outstanding votes where Dr. Oz is still in good shape to win. But it's going to be relatively close. But if I were Dr. Oz, I would feel pretty good. I mean, you and I saw that same thing Tuesday night. It was an unmitigated disaster. Josh, okay, first it's Joe Biden, and that's funny, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's not funny, but it is hilarious that our president can't, can't complete sentences. Uh, the Dome, our vice president, is not much better, and she is allegedly fully functional. Now we have John Fetterman like this. Look, one, one is a one-off. Three, it's beginning to be a trend. Josh, do you, do you make something of the fact that Democrats are now routinely putting up people who are not functional? I mean, part of the problem is that Barack Obama, during the course of his presidency, really decimated and destroyed the Democratic Party. Lots of people in Democratic circles are kind of whispering about this, but they didn't want to actually go against Barack Obama too publicly, of course. But if you look at 2010, 2014 being the two midterm cycles during the Obama presidency, Democrats lost down ballot a lot. They got totally wrecked in the state legislatures. They got totally wrecked in the races, state attorney general races. 
even kind of state district attorney races, things of that nature at a more local level. Why is that important? Well, it's important because the people that would have been winning, the up and coming candidates would have been winning those state ledge seats 10, 12 years ago or so, would be kind of the you know US House, US Senate candidates, and eventually kind of vice presidential, presidential candidates for the Democrats now. So I actually think Barack Obama of all people is a lot to blame for this. But look, I mean, when the Democrats are putting up people on the national stage these days, Jesse, you know, to kind of quote the former president, Donald Trump, they're not sending their best at this point. No, they're not. Okay, explain that real quick about Obama. What? Why? What? What did he do? Well, he was just really unpopular. I mean, like it's basically that simple. I mean, so his so his coattails down ballot actually kind of trickled down, and a lot of otherwise kind of electable or kind of more promising young up and coming progressive Democratic candidates actually lost. There have been some stories written on this. The full story really has not been written. I'm actually anticipating, by the way, that something very similar is currently happening to Joe Biden. I think the Democrats are going to lose quite badly this midterm election. They'll probably lose again in 2024. So it'll be a similar story. I mean, you know, on real clear politics right now, I think the RCP guys are projecting that, that the GOP after uh, the, this coming uh, Tuesday, November 8th, will have, I think, 31 governor mansions. I mean, that's a, that's a massive, massive disparity, 31 to 19. So the GOP is looking pretty good. The Democrats are not. A lot of that has to do with the top of the ticket, Barack Obama and Joe Biden himself. Okay, people don't like Joe Biden. They're going to go out and vote against Joe Biden. But I, I look at places like Wisconsin. Is Wisconsin going red, or is it just Joe Biden, or is it just crime? Is it inflation? What's going on there? So the upper Midwest is a very interesting part of the country. I mean, states like Minnesota, Iowa, and Wisconsin are probably the that stand out in particular. The, the Dakotas are a little, little different. But those three particular states, there's a very old kind of Democratic Party farmer labor thing going on there. In fact, the state Democratic Party in Minnesota, which neighbors Wisconsin to the West, the state Democratic is literally called the DFL. It's called the Democratic Farmer Labor Party. And what that means is that a lot of these more rural kind of working class, disproportionately white, oftentimes very white, like 90, 95% plus white, a lot of these counties that in a lot of other states that would have shifted towards the right, would have shifted towards Republicans, would have shifted towards Trump and so forth, you know, uh, over the past decade, really started voting for Republicans back in the 80s due to the Reagan revolution and all that. A lot of those counties and states like uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, to a lesser extent, Iowa, have taken a much, much longer time to kind of get on board with the alignment that is now rapidly unfolding before our eyes. I think Trump greatly accelerated that realignment. I'm not sure if Wisconsin is a red state at this point. I do think that Ron Johnson is probably going to win by a solid six point margin if I had to like roughly ballpark it. But, you know, we'll see. I mean, the 2020 election in Wisconsin was extremely close, extremely close. Pollsters in Wisconsin routinely mess up that state, by the way. I think in 2020, they were off by like six points or something like that in the final average. But it's definitely trending rightward. Okay, Georgia. Everyone has their hopes up about Georgia, and mine may be creeping up a little bit because Raphael Warnock is really a nutball. This is something people don't talk enough about. The guy is a nut, but Georgia seems blue now to me, Josh. We don't even have, we don't have we don't even have a senator from the state of Georgia anymore, which is amazing. But Walker looks like he might win. I don't know. Well, part of that is due to Brian Kemp's coattails, and the polling for Brian Kemp over Stacey Abrams is really quite lopsided right now. I mean, I, the last couple polls I've seen now, the Georgia gubernatorial race have Kemp up by as much as 10, 11 points, looking almost like he's winning by a DeSantis over Chris margin. I mean, it's not quite that high, but I mean, Brian Kemp is looking like he's going to be a lock over Stacey Abrams at this point. Stacey Abrams' campaign, by the way, started to pull some, some uh, television advertising, and they're basically just throwing in the towel at this point. 
So Herschel Walker, for all of his baggage, and there obviously is a good amount of baggage there, it looks like from my perspective that Brian Kemp could basically just drag him across the finish line. And, you know, Herschel Walker, to his credit, I mean, in his one, you know, his lone debate against Raphael Warnock two weeks ago, whenever that debate was, he did quite well. I mean, Herschel Walker showed up to play in that debate. He held his own and then some. I would say he actually outright won that debate based on the clip that I saw after the fact. So I, I, I'm feeling pretty optimistic about Herschel right now as well. I mean, I think my final U.S. Senate prediction right now is probably 53 seats for Republicans. I, I wouldn't be shocked, honestly, if that gets to 54. That would mean New Hampshire. But I'm feeling pretty good about 53, 52 at the absolute worst. Okay, Josh, I'm scared to death about Arizona for a couple of different reasons. One, because Blake Masters is one of the very few candidates that genuinely inspires me and gives me some hope about the future of the GOP. And two, I have run for office in Arizona, as you well know. We were friends way back then as well. And I won on election day. I beat Gabrielle Giffords handily on election day, but I ended up losing the election by 4,000 votes. Why? Because lots of people, like half of them, vote early in Arizona. So yeah, Blake Masters looking good now. Back when a bunch of people were voting, he wasn't. Give me some hope. Well, Jesse, I know in your own run there in Arizona, there was also kind of a third-party libertarian spoiler, which definitely could potentially be a problem this time around as well. I mean, that libertarian candidate was on that debate stage with, like, Master Mark Kelly, if I recall. You know, well, I, I, I think the polling there is roughly 2-3%. I mean, at this point, like, honestly, like, abolishing the libertarian party and preventing it from getting ballot access, I think, honestly, I'm, I'm literally not getting. I think that has to be a pressing Republican Party policy broad because... We've seen how this game is played, and it's frankly just awful. As far as kind of the case for Blake at this point, and, you know, I've discussed Blake with you on this very show, of, you know, full disclosure, I know him personally. I'm a huge fan of past senator. Look, all, he has all the momentum on his side right now. I think for weeks, for months on end, it, you know, it was looking like Mark Kelly was in fairly good shape. He had massive income court chest. He's an astronaut. We, we know the whole story there. The polls have dramatically tightened. Literally this morning, if I if I remember correctly, I think I saw the Cook political report and Politico shift that race from lean Democrat to toss up. And you, you know, you and I know how this works. Early voting, like we said, we were talking about Pennsylvania, is a big problem everywhere. But those late-breaking votes at this point are swinging massively to Blake Masters. And they're swinging to Republicans all across the country. So I would feel cautiously optimistic if I were the Blake Masters campaign. Also, Carrie Lake is going to beat Katie Hobbs probably by a similar four to five point margin, something similar to what's going to happen yeah. elsewhere. So she could drag Blake across the finish line the same way that Kemp could pull Herschel across the finish line in Georgia. Josh Hammer of the Josh Hammer Show. Thank you, my brother. Anytime. I, I have final thoughts. Wait, no, I have Rich Barris next, and then there's final thoughts. I don't know. Maybe I'll give Rich my final thoughts. Hang on. All right, that's the governors, that's the Senate. Am I crazy with my prediction in the House? You know what? We're going to lead with that because I know Rich will tell me if I'm a total nutball. Rich, joining me now, my buddy Rich Bears, obviously known as the People's Pundit. Rich, I have this prediction, this nutball prediction, that unless Democrats lose 40, I called 40 seats in the House, I have to shave in a mustache, which I'll look very dashing, I might point out, but I have to shave in a mustache. R Rich, is the mustache coming? 
You know, uh, I'll tell you what. Actually, your predictions at this point it, are not a, a far cry from reality at all. I mean, we're at 35 as one of the more likely outcomes with others, uh, a slew of others. No, we're just not comfortable saying uh, with the last generic ballot, we know for sure we'll go. But this is how these midterms work, Jesse. You know, the levy typically breaks in, in what looks to be an election like this. And it breaks at the last minute and it starts sweeping away districts that nobody expected to go. And I keep uh, trying to emphasize this to people. You know, we're, we're always focused on uh, the battleground and these competitive districts uh, that, that, you know, the media and all of us uh, put to the forefront of these discussions. But at the end of the day, there are always surprises. In 18, Republicans found themselves biting their nails about Kentucky Five, right? So that's, that's the way this stuff works. And it looks like we're headed in that direction. Okay, uh, to ask a stupid question of someone like you, but I, I think people are genuinely curious, what's a generic ballot? We keep hearing a lot of this now, a generic ballot, generic ballot. What is it? So when a pollster asks a generic ballot, typically everyone's got a little bit different way of wording it. But what you're supposed to be really getting to the heart of is asking the voter, do they intend to vote for the Republican candidate or the Democratic candidate, not specific candidates, but the Republican or Democrat when they go to vote for their uh, House of Representatives uh, rep representative in Congress? And we always say, you know, whom do you intend to vote for in your congressional district? So we make sure we specify that we are talking about the House. Uh, you know, it is it is a good metric because ultimately what happens is that that, you know, that lead on the generic ballot is basically indicative of all of the House vote nationwide added together. Think of it almost like a popular vote for president, only it is at the House level and it's all the House districts combined. So it tells us if a party is winning one share of the vote nationally, the House vote nationally, then we know how to at least roughly apply that to other districts uh, that we may be looking at and, and decide whether or not a party has a good chance of taking that district. It's a good question. Okay, so what is it now? What's it look like now? So we, our last generic ballot that just came out is Republican plus five, which we reported though, Jesse, with an expanding lead. And the reason why we say that is because partisans are in their respected camps. They're not budging. Their minds are made up. We're at that point in the election. The only ones who remained undecided were uh, largely independent, almost all of them, uh, really, because less than 2% of each party was undecided. So all we have left are these undecided voters. They're between the ages of 30 and 64, most of them. They don't have a college degree, and they're uh, negative on Joe Biden, whether they strongly or somewhat disapprove of Joe Biden. That is the lion's share of undecideds. And we're not the only ones, you know, the, the you know, survey uh, or the uh, USA Today poll, the New York Times poll, they all found generally the same thing, which is that the undecided just don't look good for Democrats. And as we see them, uh, those uh, people who were undecided break throughout the month of October, they break hard for Republicans. They, they It's been breaking, you know, uh, and de depending on the poll, ours was three to one. Others have, have even been more than that. So it's, okay, it's a well, big I'm move. a hardcore... I'm a hardcore partisan, as everyone knows, so I have my list of reasons why I don't like Joe Biden. But <laughs> why why don't the undecideds like Joe Biden? What is it? It's inflation. 
it's the economy for some it's this general sense that things are just kind of spiraling out of control you know i voted for joe biden because maybe i was a, uh, i was getting a little bit tired of the boat rocking under donald trump what happened to the even hand what happened to the adults in the room what happened to shutting down the virus not the economy uh so you know when you make these big promises like this jesse and you don't really deliver i mean how could you anybody argue with inflation where it is now that uh they delivered on these promises when in inflation had uh, stabilized and returned to the mean after the shutdown under former President Donald Trump. People aren't stupid, you know, so the parties have their talking points, but the American public, these people that truly are persuadable, feel they cannot put uh, you know, groceries in their shopping cart and gas in their tank. It's really that simple. Okay, now let's, let's, let's go to the House, because you mentioned some areas that are blue that are going to shock some people and go red. Do you have yeah. specifics? Yeah, I, I think now, look, Rhode Island, too, has gotten a lot of attention uh, there. The Republican Fung has uh, been out polling, uh, I would say, overperforming expectations. In some polls, he's just a little bit down. In others, he's actually ahead. Uh, so the range is anywhere between Democrat plus two to Republican plus eight. So, you know, the high end of that range is obviously favoring him. There's other districts in Connecticut. You know, you have Logan versus Hayes. Uh, these Some of these areas should not be all that competitive in a neutral cycle and we can tell it's real uh because the, the poll in connecticut five i'm talking about which had the republican up uh it's real because you can see that the the vote for joe biden and donald trump in 2020 these people are admitting i voted for donald trump or i voted for joe biden you can see the margin is generally right on par with 2020. the difference is now that margin's cut in half so where is this coming from? Where is this voter remorse coming from? It's coming from these districts. And when we talk about that generic ballot, I'll just add this real quick. The Republican share of the vote, their share is more efficient than the Democratic share. Republicans have to win their generic ballot by a lot less to be able to do real damage across districts across the nation than Democrats do. Why? Because Democrat districts are very concentrated in high population areas. So they have to win a generic ballot by more than five, eight points, you know, to be able to really make widespread gains across the map. That is not the case for Republicans. They win it by five and it's a cataclysmic night almost for Democrats. So they win it by six and, you know, the levy breaks and, and it all comes tumbling down. Okay, each race tells its own story, and I don't expect you to be an expert on all of them, but the Connecticut one fascinates me, Logan versus Hayes, you just yeah. brought it up. Why is that going the way it is? Is it a really bad Democrat? Is it a really good Republican? Or is it just all, hey, Joe Biden sucks and we want to vote against him? You know, it, it, D, all the above, <laughs> right? Uh, but there are uh, grassroots supporters now. There's a bus tour there ginning up the Trump base to get out there and vote. Uh, but I have been arguing for a long time, Democrats are much better at looking around the map and saying, maybe we can't win this state or these districts this year, but two years from now or four years from now, if we put the work in, we can do it. Connecticut Five is a perfect example of one that I've been trying to highlight the entire state of Connecticut. There there was movement under Donald Trump in special elections where at the, le the state legislature uh, level, Republicans won seats that they hadn't represented in decades. And that was all because of this shift among working class voters who used to be the old blue collar Democrat. That has been late to the Northeast. So, you know, Republicans, uh, some of this is natural because we were expecting those demographics. And then and then some is, you know, the other reasons you brought up. But all in all, uh, some of these areas really Democrats have kind of 
overstayed their welcome, you know, and I, and I think in the future, it's going to get harder for them in some of these areas. And that's a great district to, as an example. Tell me about Pennsylvania. Obviously, everyone sees the Fetterman-Oz thing. That's that's maybe the biggest race yeah. in the country right now as far as people are paying attention to it. But no one's talking about congressional races in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is a big state, and the different parts of it are really different. Yeah, you know, there are uh, right now, we're in Pennsylvania polling right now. And, I, you know, I can't, it's not done yet, but, I mean, I can tell that Republicans are doing well on the statewide generic ballot. I think something happened about two weeks ago, which Pennsylvania is a great example to point out what I was talking about before, where if you start to expand your lead on the generic ballot, you can't only do that on the back of working class voters. Something had to have been happening. And what happened is independents, even those who have college degrees, started to swing back to the GOP. Women swinging back to the GOP. So the last time we saw a margin this close with women was in 2014 when Republicans barely lost the female vote. In 2010, it was about even. So it gives you an idea of where we're at. We only had Republicans trailing among women by three points. That's it. What does that mean to a state like Pennsylvania? And this is a you know wild versus sheller out there. There are some areas Republicans have been struggling in districts like that where there are educated white voters who kind of shied away from the Republican Party after a while, under especially under Trump. That's true. Uh, but now uh, are starting to come back. And by the way, just as a little sneak peek, we're seeing that at the Senate level as well. Somebody like Mehmet Oz in this poll is clearly doing better among people who have a four-year degree than he was in the poll we conducted a month and a half ago. Uh, something happened two weeks ago. I think that when it comes to the Senate, obviously the debate I, you know, had an impact, which isn't always the case. Debate impact is overblown, in my opinion. But this time, that performance by Fetterman was so bad, that will also have, you know, it will resonate on other parts of the ticket. So if they were flirting with the idea of voting with a Republican at the congressional level, and now they've decided, I can't vote for Fetterman, I'm going to vote for Oz. These are people who aren't particularly partisan. They'll, they'll, they'll go Republican across the ticket. And some of us as pollsters won't even pick it up. A lot of that happened in 2014. The, Snuck right up on us. He is the people's pundit, the best in the business, in my opinion, Rich. Thank you, my man. All the best, Jesse. Thanks for having me. Talk to you soon. All right, I have some final thoughts. They'll be brilliant next. Put a smile on your face. A smile on your face. You've had to sit there for almost two full years now and watch as these people, these communists, have torn through your country, ripped apart everything, and you, you haven't had, had the ability to do anything about it, right? We've had to sit and watch and just take it and be hit over and over and over and over again. But not anymore. Now you get to take all that anger, all that venom and rage, and march down to the voting booth and do something to them. You get to do something about it. Put a smile on your face. It is going to be a good day. And sometimes good days are few and far between. We'll get out there and get it done. Drag friends, family, neighbors, though. Don't be complacent. Don't think, well, I red wave. I'll go play golf today. No, 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 no. Go vote like you're mad because you should be. I'll see you.
Each morning, the President of the United States receives a highly classified briefing on the most important issues facing the country. It's called the President's Daily Brief, or PDB. It's delivered by America's spies and analysts. Well, now you can hear your very own PDB in the form of a podcast hosted by me, Brian Dean Wright, a former CIA operations officer. Each morning at 6 a.m. Eastern, I'll bring you 15 to 20 minutes of the most important issues facing the country, giving you the critical intelligence and analysis you need to start your morning. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.